Welcome to the Safe Haven Podcast. I'm your host, Amanda. The Safe Haven Podcast is a space for you to be real, raw, emotional, vulnerable, hilarious, and or completely carefree. This podcast offers a space for stories to be shared about the lights and darks, highs and lows of life, and a judgment-free zone. Join me and my powerful guests as we dive into a variety of conversations and topics. Listen from where you are, as you are. Think, laugh, and cry along with us, whether you're in your car, in your kitchen, chasing your kids, running your business, caregiving for someone you love, getting a mani-pedi, while you're in the hospital, a treatment center, sitting on the deck, on the dock, or out for a run. These weekly stories and messages will hit you right in the heart, fill up your cup, and recharge your spirits. Joining me today is the lovely E.A. Douglas, a writer, an artist, and a lovely friend of mine who is so open about mental health, coping mechanisms, and what makes her rock. Like, I think you rock. So welcome to the Safe Haven Podcast, E.A. Douglas. Thank you, Amanda. I'm happy to be here. Yay. And let's give a mad shout out to Tara. Hi, T. Hi, (laughs) T. Oh, because that's essentially who connected us. Yeah. I mean, I've known Tara forever, so... She's great. I love her. Yeah. Hi, Tara. We met at, well, I didn't meet Tara. I met Tara in university, but you and I met at Tara's Cottage. At Tara's Cottage in Dunsford. Yes. Years ago, 2015. Uh, 20, earlier or later, no, like 2017, I think. Was it later? Yeah, because it was after the whole. 2016 breakdown so oh yes so it had to be like 2017 okay let's go there yeah so 2017 for sure so we met in 2017 like may 2 for 2017 you you got it bang on yeah i thought it was 2015 for some reason i felt like it was right after i'd come home from australia no now i know why yes and then the next thing about that is because that was in the Kortha Lakes and mm-hmm. now we're both sitting here in Vancouver. I know. Welcome. And beautiful, sunny Kitsilano. It's, and it's so sunny it's out so right now. It's so gorgeous right now. When I walked this morning to get a coffee, I sent a picture to my parents. I was like, this is what November, December looks like in Vancouver. I mean, intermittent with like yeah, weeks of rain, rain. <laughs> which but is it's fine. It's not even real rain. It's no, drizzly it's, rain. I mean, people who live in Vancouver complain about the rain way more often than they should. Like, they're yeah. like, well, it rains all day, but it'll rain for like six hours and then be sunny in the afternoon. And rain is not like our rain in Ontario no. where it's fat raindrops. No, it's very, like, it's like a light, like, mist or drizzle. Mm-hmm. I mean, the other day I was on the phone with Tara and it, she was walking. It was like negative 21 with the wind chill. <laughs> and it was like three degrees and a slight mist and I was like I'm fine yeah like, I'm okay it. thank you <laughs> you enjoy stabbing on that snow I will be here oh gosh well when I sent the picture of I would just walk by this park over here you all right I'm good <laughs> when I walked by this park this morning and I sent a picture of the, there's people just out here playing with their dogs and things like that and I had sent that to my parents my sister immediately sent one back and it was of our cottage, and it was covered in snow, and it was just miserable looking. Gross. You know what, though? Yeah. Well, I guess when we grew up with that, you don't know much different. So when you experience something different, like a winter out in Vancouver, it's like, this is winter? Uh, I was hanging out with an Australian the other day, and they went down to like Mount Baker in Seattle because mm-hmm. they have never seen snow in the way that you can see snow in North America. And um and that just blew my mind because mm-hmm. like yeah I grew up with like snow from 
like a week before my birthday until March or mm-hmm. April. Yeah. You know, if if you're lucky, it's March. Yes. Uh, and so that was like, I was like, what do you mean you've never seen snow? The Aussies and the Kiwis, they always call it going to the snow. Yeah, they do. It's yeah. the weirdest thing. Gonna, like, we're going to go to the snow. It's like, okay, where's snow? <laughs> it's like, no, the snow. Oh, okay, the snow in mountains? Like, what are you going to do? <laughs> are you going tobogganing? Like, <laughs> let's start with the fact that we're even in van. What brought you out? Um. Well... But part of it was that my partner was moving out here for work, and then the other. But I'm not going to be the kind of girl who's like, oh, my boyfriend moved. No, uh, mostly for me, it was like I was done with Toronto. Uh, I was living in Toronto for like a decade, as of September 2018. I'd been there for ten years, mm-hmm. and it really like I just one of my friends described it as I was like chafing at the neck of like being in Toronto for so long because. Despite how many people feel like Toronto's a big city, in my opinion, it's like the biggest small town in the world. Like after living there for 10 years, you kind of, well, I guess after living anywhere for 10 years, you kind of know the people that you know in different environments and like you have the places that you go and like the people that you pick up and the friends you make. And so I just kind of miss the feeling of anonymity. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when my partner and I were talking about it, like, if you could move out of Toronto, where would you move? There are really only two cities in Canada that you can go from Toronto to, um, that being Vancouver and Montreal. And as previously discussed, I do not like snow or the cold. Mm-hmm. So Montreal was out. And that's what brought me to Van, because it's the only other city left. And But it's beautiful. And I it is. It. it really is. I love is. it here. Like, it's so healthy to be here. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's kind of something that I always notice when I land out here. And I've been coming back and forth here since 2006, I think. I think 2006 or 2007, maybe 2007. And even I just feel as if when I land, there's just cleaner air. Oh, yeah. The, oh, and the like light is weirdly though. blue. Yeah. Like, I'm sure it's because of the ocean. But, like, the light is way more. I feel like the light in southern ontario is way more yellow than the light in vancouver and maybe that's just like the artist in me that like sees light with color but it drives me crazy because whenever i'm back in the six i immediately realize the difference of like yeah all my pictures are going to be slightly brown whereas in vancouver they're all slightly blue let me ask you about your camera then, because when sure. you got here, so I know that you love taking photos, but I want you to dive into why you take photos and how cool your little camera is. <laughs> um, so I have, um, it's called the Lomography Instant Square. I don't know. It is a... It's beside you right now. It's I can beside see me. It. I can see it too. I, I'm not going to pick it up. Um, so it was a Kickstarter project off of Lo- like the Lomo website. I don't know if you know the Lomography company. They make no. like... So their whole thing is making plastic film cameras and trying to keep the life of analog alive. And so this was a Kickstarter they did back in 2017 to work with the Fujifilm Instax film, which are the credit card size photos that you can get. Um, and yeah, so it takes instant, fo- instant photos, which is something that I'm fascinated by right now because, um, one, like I grew up in the 90s, so Polaroid kind of didn't exist anymore it was something that I knew of but you can no longer get Polaroid cameras when we were kids and so I was always curious about in like Polaroids uh and two I kind of resent digital I just find that because I always take so many pictures with my phone I don't really enjoy them as much and they don't seem as purposeful 
mm-hmm. um, you know, because you can just literally hold the shutter button on your iPhone and it will take 100 photos. And then you've just captured the moment a million times, which I'm not, which is, you know, it's less special. So, yeah, I really like instant photography because it feels like it has the immediate release similar to digital, but it is also more precious. It's also mm-hmm. super expensive, so you get very thoughtful with your your Yeah, pictures. you have to. You have to, like, be on the ball. And this camera, so this camera, I have another instant camera that I've been using for a long time, since, like, 2017. But this one, I was, like, I found it because, um, I found it on Craigslist, which was crazy. Uh, so I did not pay the $250 price tag. Um, but it takes, uh, it has a tripod mount and a self-timer and a remote control, which for my practice before when I was using a digital camera, I did a lot of self-portraits. And when I switched to instant, that became a little bit more challenging because it didn't have a tripod mount or like the ability to like do a shutter release. Mm -hmm. Um, so hopefully with this camera, I'll get to explore self-portraiture again and more thoroughly awesome uh, i really like what you've connected to about even just the the appreciation for the photos that you're taking my dad often makes the point that well how many photos do you have on your iphone you know it's and then you look at it and there are often people that have thousands i admit almost embarrassed to admit that i have like ten thousand photos oh the other day i was yeah no i have like so I have like at least a hundred thousand on my phone. I no I, way. Yeah, I recently had to take all of my ca- photos from like the yeah. I just have so many photos. I have like two hard drives filled with just photos because I don't want to buy a new computer. I'm really cheap and like I don't really need mm-hmm. a new computer, but I need the hard drive space in order to run the programs. Right. So like I just cleared my hard drive of all my photos, and so now I have two extra hard drives. But they're like full side hard drives. But again, like that's just like from having a digital phone for so or a iPhone for so long, and you just uh, get used to having them all with yeah. you. Yeah, and I mean I've also been you know an artist and doing things since 2000 and. 10 so mm-hmm. that's you know over a decade of documentation mm-hmm. and yeah different things that you have to take pictures of and I also think of how often if I'm going to show someone something we do it every single day oh let me show you a photo right yeah so then you can just quick reference it but then how often we like a photo or can appreciate a photo that's maybe like you say in that digital format but how rare it is for us to actually move forward and print it oh yeah right it's weird so scrapbooking is in not what it used to be no. and photo albums are not what they no, used to be. no i mean i so we'll get into this later but like the zines that i make mm-hmm. they always have photos in them and that's like a huge part of it and it makes me laugh how expensive it is to print photos these days I know. it's crazy i know i think i printed seven at london drugs in and there it was like twelve dollars and i was like this is not Mm-mm. that's like so expensive but i guess because people don't do it anymore right you know yeah that's i think photos are great and it's all good it's just uh it's funny how oh i can totally appreciate your yeah yeah i mean your little camera and the creativity that you actually put into each frame like you said because it's a one shot yeah Mm -hmm. i mean and then you have like the duds like i'm looking at some i did earlier and (laughs) and i mean i appreciate all of them yeah but they're not all keep i mean they're not all gray. It's a learning process. It is a learning process. Okay, great segue though into your zine because that yeah. was actually something I really wanted to dive into as Let's well. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about your zine. I want to talk about why. Why yes. did it start? When did it start? 
uh, you know, what keeps you going with it and what does it help you communicate? Okay, so um, for the people who don't know, I make zines. So they are like self-published little magazines. Um, it's written like Z-I-N-E. Uh, and uh, yeah, um, why they started. So the zine that I write is called Strange and Mysterious Creatures. And so there's two ways that uh, that exists in the world. The first one is... Uh, like a physical hard copy, which you have a copy of yeah. back in Ontario. Yeah. Um, like your first one. Yeah. The first one I did, uh, which is like, it came out in 2017. Um, the strange and mysterious creatures yellow issue. Mm-hmm. And that came out of, well, that one came out of a very, um, vulnerable place of wanting to make my own space. Cause I had, I've always exist or, you know, living in Toronto for the last decade. And I've always existed in this, artist community but I never really felt like I had a claim to it because I didn't have anything that I did on my own um I had projects in the past that I had collaborated on with boyfriends or I had um the sophisticated boom boom reading series which was run out of a bar in Toronto and that was like collaborated with my friend Nick but I didn't have anything that was 100% mine and as I'm sure we'll get into 2016 the year before had been really troublesome and hard and so making strange and mysterious creatures was kind of giving myself a platform and like giving myself a box to stand on um and so that issue the very first one it deals with um going sober and stop drinking and then creativity and then I can't remember what the other subject is did you find that it was widely received well received um in no, I mean, kind of. It's weird because the thing with like being an artist and being a small time artist is that you only really get as much pub- as much publicity as you're willing to like make for yourself. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I, I mean, I sold all fifty copies that I originally printed, and I've done a second printing now in Van to sell at other zine fairs and stuff. Um, but it wasn't like, you know, I, I think I think I had like one person tell me they thought it was zany. And then I, I think for the most part, people bought it, never read it, which is also okay. Like, I'm not going to get mad at any of my friends for not reading my work. Like, that's fine. Because mm-hmm. um, then you also have a newsletter. I read that. Oh, yeah. So then, so, so that happened in 2017. And like, the biggest problem with that was that it was expensive to make. Like, it made, oh. it cost me like around $300 to do the first one because I had done it in color and printing in color is incredibly expensive. Right now, I'm only printing in black and white because I, it's all I can afford. And so then after doing the Strange and Mysterious Creatures perzine and realizing that I wanted to keep doing it, but I wanted to do it in a way that I could do free. And so then I turned it into a newsletter, mm-hmm. um, which is, uh, yeah, so I think there's been six of them now, maybe seven. Um, so they come out every, like I call it uh, like uh, the occasional digital perzine. Um, so yeah, it's every now and then I send mm-hmm. it out whenever I feel like it. I'm working on one right now because I'm trying to get one last out before the end of the year. So there'll be four for 2019. Um, and those, yeah, so it usually deals with creativity, creative processing, mental health, pretty much like whatever I feel like talking about the last one, which is probably my favorite to date is about cooking Danish meatballs and how... I like tried to make this really elaborate meal and just failed so hard. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> it. It's really, I mean, it's funny for me. 
like it's I make them because I like to have documentation of these moments in my life and I also like sharing and like writing and the MailChimp platform as long as you have under 2,000 subscribers which I don't think I even have 200 subscribers it's totally free to send out so it doesn't cost me anything to like make it and it goes into people's emails and they read it and sometimes you can respond and like tell me what you think and that's great too uh so the digital perzine is the extension of that and then in September, I made a second issue of the hard copy one, which is Stranger Mysterious Creatures, the purple issue. And that's the one that I think only like three people. I, I have a bunch of them still because nobody's bought it, which is also fine. Uh, this fall, you went to a, there was a, a festival. I couldn't make yeah, it. Yeah, I, I did Canzine. That's so right. um, Broken Pencil, the like zine magazine out of Toronto. I know it's crazy. There is a magazine about zines we just get so so many boxes here um but they do uh, a festival called can zine which is basically i think it's 30 bucks first come first serve to table yeah um and they do it toronto ottawa vancouver i think they're adding one to saskatchewan now and basically it's yeah people who make like who write or draw because it can be pretty much anyone lots of comics um I make a perzine, which is like the short form of personal zine. So basically it's a diary, my diary entries, right? Um, which can be different from people who make comics or fanzines, which are zines that are, you know, it's like about skateboarding or rock bands or all of those, you know, things that fans want to talk about. Um, but yeah, so I did that. And that's, that was the impetus for making the second issue was because I was showing up and I, you know, I have this collection of online content that people can access from my site but you know you can't really sell I did consider printing off the newsletters and like selling them Mm -hmm. but that I mean that it felt like cheating so I just wrote a second one which was crazy to I think I wrote like 6,000 words in like the space of two weeks which I haven't been in college in a very long time so like that part of me was just like whoof like we're getting it done girl yeah um but yeah clearly had to get something off here yeah I mean that one is very uh content warning that one deals very explicitly with like my abusive ex-boyfriend from like my early 20s and Mm. um and like it's got some violent scenes in it but Mm. and it kind of like that was like part of the move to bc was like wanting to space myself from the person that i had been in toronto and like Mm. um and so i'm glad that like i've written about it because now that it's written and like in something and i can like point to it and be like that's where I tell that story I no longer feel like I need to tell the story and I no longer like it it doesn't feel it doesn't hit as hard Mm -hmm. I mean obviously healing isn't linear healing isn't linear and we all process trauma in different ways but um that like having it out making a narrative of something that happened I think is really important that's really powerful yeah and so like and like you know then stabling it together and using the pictures from London Drugs to, you know. And there's also, like, funny stories in there about my friend's cat and, uh... Bit of a balance. You know, I, like, I'm all over the place. I like to just be myself. Mm -hmm. When you you mentioned, you know, moving out here after an abusive relationship in your early 20s, you know, you kind of allude to, you know, a pretty heavy past. Mm -hmm. And when we... Talk about social media. Your social media has become a space for you to share your own personal experiences and and what you're going through on a day-to-day basis or, you know, 
talk about things that you've experienced. So if we were to go back and talk a little bit about your own experiences with mental health, you've been hospitalized twice for mental health. Yeah. Can you dive into a little bit about what brought you to your first hospitalization in 2012? Yeah, I mean that. So that hospitalization, I was like a very different person then. Um, I was like kind of the party girl. This is like when I say like I've been in Toronto too long. I feel like there's people who know me as a certain person. And so after I, I quit drinking in 2017. Yeah, I sobered up, which was has been great for me. But it's hard to like live that life of like a sober person when you're used to being the party girl. And I think 2012, that was 100%. Uh, I just did too many drugs, <laughs> which oh god it seems silly to say but like I was I think it was January 2012 that I ended up in the hospital I was there for five days uh in a crisis stabilization unit which is where they kind of just like put you in a room by yourself and lock you down and try to like I had to like I think I was you know cleaned out by then but uh, my serotonin levels were messed up uh because I had just been partying so hard that those chemicals can really impact your brain Mm. chemistry which, you know, they tell you in Psych 101, but you don't listen. And, uh, and yeah, so I just got, yeah, so I was there for five days. It was, like, kind of, at the time, I remember it feeling very dramatic. But seeing how that wasn't the only time, like, at this point in time, I feel kind of bland about it. Because, like. So, but how, what was your, who took you there? Did you uh, self-admit? Who yeah, I self-admit. So, I was living in a house with, like, four girls at that point in time beautiful humans that like I mostly still talk to and really respect um and it was just very clear that like my mental health was starting to impact them okay um and I remember like I was like self-harming pretty intensely and like losing my shit pretty frequently anytime we got drunk I would just like want to die Mm -hmm. and so I really was at a point where I mean I think they were at a point I was at a point um and one of my roommates ended up taking me there but it was like I wanted to go so that I no longer felt like they had to babysit me and like take care so of me. So there was an way. ownership and behavior. Yeah, I mean Yeah. Which is which is massive. I mean, I think I in retrospect I feel that way. They might have a different perspective. Um, I can make room for if maybe they feel like they pushed. We haven't talked about it. I haven't spoken to them about it recently. So mm-hmm. I wouldn't Yeah. Uh but yeah, I think twenty twelve it was definitely like I need help and uh and I didn't know where else to go. I went to the St. Mike's Hospital on, it's like downtown Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I was there for five days. It wasn't, I ended up, I think I ended up going to outpatient at U of T, which is where I was studying at the time. Because um, whenever you do inpatient, you then have to follow up and do an outpatient treatment so that like they don't just like kick you back out mm-hmm. with no support, despite the fact that it sometimes feels that way. Um, yeah. Depending on like getting those services can be mm-hmm. delayed. And then four years later, you ended up back there, and this was more intense. Yeah, so I didn't. I ended up going to CAMH the second time. I ended up back in the hospital, but not in at St. Mike's. So I ended up going to CAMH, which is like the center for addiction and mental health, which is downtown Toronto. Um, And I, I feel very lucky that that exists. I know that a lot of people have issues with CAMH as it exists, and that it can't always serve the community that it tries to. but for me, it was where I needed to be when I needed to be there. Um, so yeah, so I went there. I was living in, a, I was living with a person, and it was like a very toxic and abusive relationship. Um, living with this friend, we were roommates, but still, I think that 
we need to like make space for how friendships can be abusive and that's a big Mm -hmm. thing Mm -hmm. uh and I'd also yeah so 2016 was like the worst year of my life um I was 26 and I was I had been dating this guy who I was like crazy about and I'd gotten pregnant um which I had an IUD at the time so that was very surprising Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know I had to cover IUD because I can't use hormonal birth control for like mental health reasons and it ended up my birth control failed so I got pregnant and I was like in this place of like do I have an abortion do I keep it like I'm in love with this guy but he was he was in a different place in his life um I obviously felt there was all like I'm also saying this as a retrospective like he was just like having his own shit um and so then I ended up having a miscarriage, which is a blessing in disguise. You know, I was very upset about it and struggling very hard in 2016. But, like, I'm glad that that happened because then I feel like I don't have the responsibility of making that choice, which, you know, is a hard choice to make either way. Mm-hmm. Um, and my boyfriend ghosted. So we'd been dating for, like, eight months at that point in time, and he just, like, full-on stopped contacting me. Um or, like, he wouldn't answer my phone. Which is calls. hard to deal with regardless. Oh, my God. And it was so hard. Other issues. Of like, I was, like, yeah, so I was, like, oh. I was, like, living with this, like, awful human being who was, like, treating me like shit. And, um, like, dealing with, like, this boyfriend who, like, I loved and who, like, might have been cheating on me. But then I get pregnant. And it's, like, oh, God, what do we do? And then I tell him that, like, I'm not certain I want to have an abortion. And he freaks out. And then as soon as I, like, have a miscarriage, he just, like blocks my phone number deletes me from facebook like blocks me on instagram and i i legitimately i have not spoken to him since that happened i saw him once on the street and i like screamed at him which like sometimes you have to be the crazy bitch in parkdale like that happens (laughs) you know it was a bad day but it happened (laughs) so and that was the last time you saw him that's the last time i saw him i sent him an email a while ago being like yo like i forgive you like, I sent him an email before I left Toronto because I was like, I'm leaving Toronto and I want to close this book. Mm-hmm. And I do genuinely forgive him because, like, where I'm at now, I can see his perspective so much more clearly. And I've made peace with the situation. And, um, and yeah, so I was 2016. That was, like, it must have been April. So then May, I think it was, because I was in the hospital for three and a half weeks. And that happened over the May 2-4 weekend. Oof. Um, yeah, so we must have met in 2017. Yeah, it because, yeah. It's all making sense now. <laughs> it's all making yeah. sense. I got ahead of because myself. there is nothing... Because I have this very distinct memory of watching the Victoria Weekend fireworks out of the windows of the CAMH building because I wasn't legally allowed to leave. Um, there's this thing that happens. It's called being formed when you're like... When you can when you admit to a doctor that you, you're not safe or uh-huh. that you might like harm yourself or others... They, like, can put you on this document, which means that you're not legally allowed to leave the hospital. And if you do, you will be arrested Mm -hmm. and brought back to the hospital. Uh, And so I was still under house arrest the May 2-4 weekend. So I was just watching the fireworks out this, like, corner window. Uh, The the CAMH building that I was in was the one at College and Spadina. So it's, like, right... Um, by the Seven Eleven there and it was like on the ninth floor so you had like a pretty good view but it was just me and like these three other women that like couldn't leave the building just watching fireworks oh. which is just like so pathetic and also pathetic and poetic is what I'm it was just it's funny it's a funny memory I, I, I can really 
admire what you said even pre-recording when you were talking about how you know there's 2020 is literally around the corner yeah, it's like five weeks now I don't know how many weeks yeah when we're recording this so today is November 24th recording this and by the time this releases into December we're really looking at 2020 yeah. hard and you know what a kickstart, you know, as a cliche, a, a new year, new start, whatever. But I really admired how you said that you can look back at, at 2020 as one of the hardest years of like your 2016. life. 2016. Yeah. Sorry. Yes. So you can look back at 2016 as one of the hardest years of your life, compartmentalize it. Like I you mean, said, I've made point peace at with it. it and make like, peace with it and keep going. I mean, you. it's about, I mean... I think so. The beautiful thing about CAMH is that, um, or my experience there, because again, like I know that a lot of people don't always have the experience. I mentioned this before, but like I am a white English speaking cisgendered woman. Like I walked into that building and didn't feel any deficits for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. But I know that other people without as many privileges as I c- could feel that, and I can make space for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but my experience at CAMH was they, you know, you're there, but you also, like, they provide workshops. And so we did, um, like, DBT classes, which is, like, diabolical. Is it di- I don't know what the, I actually don't know what the D stands for. But, like, we also did CBT, so I know that one, which is, like, cognitive behavioral therapy, where yes. you do worksheets about, like, how to change your behaviors. And I remember mm-hmm. one of the most poignant things I learned was... Um, it was like there's like four things you can do when you have a problem like you can accept the problem you can kind of change the problem you can attempt to change the problem you can make peace with the problem or you can stay miserable and it was just like a very good it's I still feel like I still think about that whenever mm-hmm. there's a, a strife where it's like how are you going to approach a situation so I really felt like CAMH gave me you know not only like space to like see that you know, space to be safe, which was at that time when you're in crisis is so mm-hmm. important. Um, cause I was living like after I, I moved out in the middle of the night, like I literally left the abusive roommate situation by t- my friend and my current partner, though we weren't together at the time. Uh, we showed up and we put all of my stuff in boxes and then we put it in his truck and I moved and I had not told her that I was moving because I just knew that I could not tell her that I was moving out or else it was just going to be like, a shit show. So when you say that this that this roommate was abusive, we're talking emotionally and mentally abusive? Oh, and like verbally and like she I mean, she never was physically abusive, but like things were thrown at me. Like it's just like she had again, I can make space. Like she had enough of her own problems going on that like she needed a therapist and and all of the conversations I've had with her ever since it's always been like like bitch get a therapist. Like leave me alone and like mm-hmm. deal with your problems. Um which is still how, like, I can send, I'm, no, I'm not sending her light and love. Like, I'm okay not doing that, but, like, get a therapist. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, so she had her own shit that she was going through. And it, it just always ended up coming out at me because I was, like, the person closest to her. And we had been friends for so long. And, mm-hmm. like, I, if I loved her, then I was just going to put up with this behavior, which is not okay. Not okay. No. And, like, it was awful. Anyway, so we just moved in the middle of the night. And I moved into a scenario where I was just living in a giant house by myself. And so I was, like, very vulnerable to, like, um, to self-harm and to suicidal thoughts. And so being in that situation, I, being at KMH gave me a space to, like, kind of come down from that. Mm-hmm. 
where has the diagnosis of MDD come from? When were okay, you officially so, diagnosed? Yeah, with so that? I have major depressive disorder. Yep. Um, with psychotic features. So I got the. I think the first time I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder was when I was seeing a psychiatrist at U of T. Mm-hmm. Um, so back at, like before the hospitalization in 2012, I had gone to see a psychiatrist as like a step before mm-hmm. hospitalization. You know, when you're treading water and reaching reaching out. Uh, and that's when it first came. Uh, it's been pretty consistently that ever since. It was just during the hospitalization for the in 2016 that the psychotic features became a part of it which is really yeah can you elaborate a bit on that because I know a little bit but I'd love for the listeners to just kind of get an idea of it so when I get like so I have like major depressive disorder so usually I'm depressed like status quo um I mean when I say usually it's usually during like the winter or when things aren't going my way it's you know it's the like baseline is being depressed and then um, when I get like really into the pit, I, uh, which happens when I'm not sleeping well and when I'm having emotional or like interpersonal issues, uh, I start seeing things. Um, so like m- most explicitly I will see like cats or snakes or spiders or like I remember this one time when I was living with that girl in the apartment. I was, like, brushing my teeth, and I looked down, and I was like, oh, the cat's curled up in the corner. And it was, like, as I was brushing my teeth, and I, like, looked down, and the cat was still there. And then I was like, we don't have a cat. Like, it was just, like, consciously, my brain Mm -hmm. was like, there cannot be a cat there. And then when I had looked the third time, the cat was gone. Like, it was like my conscious brain took over and was like, there's no cat. There there was nothing in that corner. There was, like, it was just the corner of, like, the room where the room hit the bathtub. And and so for me and yeah so for me when I get psychotic I see animals but I also kind of become convinced that things that aren't real are real um like there was this week um after I think it was like the last time that I had like had a really bad time uh after Cam H where I was just not sure if I was living in reality or if it was like a video game like if I was like somehow in a VR situation and, like, just, like, couldn't really trust if things were real. Which is, like, if you've never been in the scenario, you don't understand it. And you're, like, how can you not know what's real? But for everyone who I've talked to who's experienced psychosis, they're, like, oh, yeah, I totally get it. Like, it you just, sounds terrifying. It is. I mean, there was one time. This is, like, a more specific example of that. One time I was, like, sleeping at my partner's house. And I was convinced that he was texting someone else while we were sleeping in bed. He's, like, so we're in bed. I'm, like awake and I'm convinced that he's texting and so then I got up to like get a glass of water and he was like why are you awake and I was like because you're texting someone and he was like I am not texting anyone my phone is in the kitchen like there is this is not happening and like you need to like realize that it's not happening and so it was just you know you just get so caught up in your own head um you become convinced that these things are true when they're not Mm -hmm. uh it's psychosis it's a real fun time yeah what are your coping mechanisms or so let's talk medication and coping mechanisms okay so i'm currently not medicated Mm -hmm. um i if you want to judge me for that you're more than welcome to i hold no Uh, judgment i mean but i'm like if the viewer or the listeners out there yeah yeah you know you're welcome to i get it it's definitely i think that medication is a choice um i think that like the same way that someone who is diabetic can use exercise and like some people who are diabetic can use exercise and diet to like control their blood sugars and whatnot. I feel like mental health is the same level 
of, uh, you know, you know yourself best, you know mm-hmm. when you're working, and you really have to be on it if you're going to do it this way of not, you know, you have to own your mental health. Um, so I'm not taking any medications. After I got out of Camage, they tried, or I was supposed to maintain my, I think it was on Zoloft, but I just, I got so lazy and it's so hard to just, you know, I didn't have a doctor, so I had to like go to a walk-in clinic to get my prescriptions renewed and they wouldn't just like renew it. And I was waiting for outpatient. And anyway, so then I stopped taking them and yeah, I'm not on any medications now, which is a choice. Um, and sometimes I'm like, maybe I should just go back on antidepressants because it's a lot, it's easiest, like it's easiest and it doesn't take as much work. But I also know that I become so apathetic and not creative and not interesting. Yeah. And that's what I was going to say, because the creativity side of you really is so much of your healing. Yeah. Right. And your mental health state. Yeah. Yeah. So through this then, because you've been medicated and you've been non-medicated for long periods of time, what are, what do you notice are the biggest differences between your physical, mental, and emotional self medicated versus non-medicated? I mean, I don't know if I, I don't know if I can give an answer to that because for the most part, I don't really remember the medicated. Okay. Like I've only been medicated for short periods of time. Okay. uh, Like a couple months at most. So I don't really remember. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. For the most part, I'm not on antidepressants, which, yeah. Yeah. And now- even moving forward with with that diagnosis, I guess, like you said, if you're able to maintain and be in control of your sleep patterns as best you can, your exercise and your creative outlets, that helps you manage it as best you can. Yeah. So I mentioned that previously, um, like in our conversation before. But yeah, for me to in order to stay sane, I have to like have a good night's sleep. I have to work out and I have to be working and not employment, but like do creative work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the most important thing is sleep. And I've talked to a few, this is like a conversation I've had with m- other people in my mentally ill community is about how sleep is so important. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like the number one thing for me. I need, I have these moments at the end of the day sometimes where I'm like, oh my God, I'm so depressed. I just want to die. And then like the voice in the back of my head is like, bitch, go to bed. Like you <laughs> are not depressed you do not want to die you're tired like you're tired because you just worked all day you got up at five to write like bitch like i don't care if the sun's still up just get your pajamas on and go to sleep Mm -hmm. and so yeah i mean i take melatonin which you can like get at shoppers or whatever to on those nights when i because i also have middle of the night insomnia i don't think i mentioned this where i wake up in the middle of the night and i can never get back to sleep so I have, like, sometimes if I feel like I'm not going to be able to sleep all night, I'll take, a, like, a melatonin tab, and that just, like, puts me out uh, for, like, a solid eight hours, mm-hmm. which I love, but, like, I use, usually I take half one. I did go up recently because I've not been sleeping well, so I was like, I'm just going to take a full one and, like, see how this goes. Um, but, yeah, so sleeping's really important, exercising, which is weird because when I was leaving Toronto, I definitely made the joke that I wasn't going to move to BC and start working out. Like that was a joke that I made numerous times. I know because everyone thinks that it's the BC healthy lifestyle that people move move here, here. then you're just fit and healthy. Yeah. But that's literally what happened. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like I, there was, there was a con, there was a thing in my life recently, not recently, months ago now where I just felt so out of control and I was having all of these emotions and not feeling good. And so I talked to one of my friends and he was like, why don't you, like, try to work out and, like, see if 
you feel better. And I kind of rolled my eyes because he's like a health freak. And I was like, no, I don't want to do that. But then I like didn't know what else to do. So I ended up going to this bar studio and because I like Pilates and I like I always wanted to be a ballerina, but we didn't have the money for it. So I went to this bar class and man, I fell in love. Like mm-hmm. Tara has always been like, exercising's great. And I've always made fun of her for it. Well, uh, she's next level though. Tara, you're next level. Um, it's true. <laughs> but like, I get it. Uh, but I think that you definitely have to find the exercise that works for you yes. because um, if you don't enjoy it, you're not going to do oh, it. No. And like, so the best thing about for me for bar which is, like, if you don't know, it's pretty much just Pilates and, like, pretending to be a ballerina. Like, it's the best. <laughs> but for me, whenever I feel like I'm not giving myself the best workout, like, when I feel myself phoning it in, I just immediately pretend that there is an audience watching me. Like, that we are on stage and, like, all of these women's are in, women are in, like, a choreographed unit and we have to, like, perform. And for some reason, that I like, the pressure of, like, performing even though it's fake and I'm making it up, I'm willing to like <laughs> put in it's such a good strategy. So yeah, so I mean, I'm not, I went to a spin class recently. I hated it. Like I understand when people are like, I hate exercising. I also hated exercising, but keep trying and you will find something that you like. Yeah, because some uh, people, so even with, um, with Juan Leano was a, is a guest and uh, was the guest that released on December 8th and super, super interesting because he just went and did two months of training for Soul Cycle, and like spin has become so much of his life. Some people hate it. Oh my Some god, people, I hate spin. Right? It's awful. I was my dad even he's chair. always like, "Why would you get on a bike and bike around inside? You can't even move." It's like because you can dance on the bike. Okay. You don't have to wear a helmet, and you don't have to worry about getting hit by a car. And sure. it's fun. I was on that bike and it was like five minutes in and I was like, oh, wait, I am just doing this for the next hour. Like, that's like my brain was like, you're an idiot. <laughs> like the Amy Schumer movie. What I is it? I th- it. I th- I'm pretty or whatever it's called. Anyways, I just remember that she has this scene where she's on the bike and she like collapses on it. I think twice actually in the movie. And yeah, there. Yeah. A spin and is a not spin for everyone. Spin is not for everyone. Nope. I really love bar. Find what works for Find you. Find what works with you. But I think <laughs> exercising, like there's that, like one, there's like the feeling of endorphins and feeling good about yourself and also just I mean I work out in the evenings and I can tell if I haven't worked out the day before I always feel kind of in a slump that would certainly correlate to your to your sleeping too yeah um yeah I mean though I have found that I have to like be careful and not work out super late or else then I can't sleep at all yeah um I I mean ideally I would work out in the mornings but that's when I write and Mm -hmm. so that is not changing and that's you've been doing you've had a really great writing routine for years now where you get up early and you prioritize that That I admire that I mean it's so funny because so the weekend that we met I was like at this cottage with all of these women that I'd never met before I just knew Tara and uh and I was the only person who came from Toronto like everyone else was growing (laughs) Kawartha Lakes just so (laughs) Kawartha and I grew up in the Kawartha Lakes so I get it um I guess Bush was actually from Wingham but even then small town girls small town girls and me the like bad city bitch Right. But I would just have to like leave, like we would get up and make coffee and then I would just have to like pull myself away from the group dynamic to go and write because I do morning pages every day, which are, it's from Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way, mm-hmm. um, which is a, I ne- I've never actually done the program, but I just started doing the morning pages. So I write in my diary every morning and then I try to transition from diary writing to 
writing on my computer, like what I call like writing for others. There's quotes around that. You guys can't see me doing the bunny ears. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I try to transition from one to the other just to maintain the float. Hasn't happened a lot recently because I also can make space for when I'm depressed to like not have to meet all my goals. Um, but yeah, so I write every morning and that's like the third thing that keeps me sane is mm-hmm. that if I can, even when I accidentally wake up at seven and I have to leave the house at like seven thirty, I still like try to get like at least five minutes in to kind of put that's my brain huge into dedication. Yeah. I've been doing it. Yeah. So I've been doing it every day. It'll be writing every day for two years come January 12th, which is crazy. Because I think January 12th, 2017 is when I started. I have like a stack of notebooks now. Super awesome. They're heavy. They're the only thing I brought from Toronto. Uh, that's great. I, yeah, I've got actually, so Lindsay, a friend of mine actually writes a lot too. And I, I've been writing on and off for the majority of my life as well. Uh, and I, I agree that journals hold so much. Yeah. Well, so, cause so I much. also write as like a creative outlet yes. and for other people and so um, I had a story published in, it would have been September 2019, this September. But I, I mean, I sent it into them in like June. And so when I was going through the re-edit process, I, because it, like I write creative nonfiction. So I write everything from a personal perspective. And this scenario I was trying to like bring onto the page, I didn't actually have any real of my like I didn't have any real writing from that time in my life Mm -hmm. to reference and it was Mm -hmm. so disorienting because now when I write I just go back and look at my diary of that time yeah to see where I was at that time Mm -hmm. um but yeah that's uh it's strange to write without my diaries when I'm doing it but Mm -hmm. I do do it yeah I want to link that idea of sharing too though I really want to link that to the sharing that you do on social media. Yeah. Right? So your social media has really become... I mean, I'm only on Instagram because Facebook is the devil. I know they're owned by the same person, but I find the, like, posts on Facebook so exhausting. Okay. So I'm only on Instagram. Okay. EA Douglas. EA dot Douglas. Dot Douglas, which is going to be linked at the bottom of the podcast. Great. Yeah. But the sharing that you do on your Instagram stories, can you elaborate a little bit on how that's become a safe space? Yeah. So uh, I post... I post videos of myself talking about how sad I am. That's what it is, guys. Um, it's nothing more than that. Uh, yeah, so I just, I feel, for one, there's like this, there's this theory, there's like one of the things that you can do to to help yourself self-soothe is to reach out. I can't remember what the technical term is. My therapist will be shaking their head right now. Uh, anyway, is to reach out. And I... You know, you can reach out to friends specifically, but for the most part, most of my friends watch my Instagram stories all the time anyway. And I think it's just powerful to have a cathartic moment of like just talking into the camera like you're a YouTuber being like, I, you know, I do not feel well today and it sucks. And especially there was um in 2018, I was writing about this morning. I can't remember the exact date. Not the summer that I lived in BC, but the summer before. Um, so 2018 must have been my abusive ex-boyfriend had put on a play about the Me Too movement, which trust me, the irony of that scenario is not mm-hmm. not lost on this girl because he's an asshole. And um, and one of the only coping mechanisms that I could other than like going to therapy every other day, which is what I was doing. And it cost me an arm and a leg um, to have like a supportive person that wasn't my partner be there for me. 
uh, was to like post stories of me like talking about this and like how hard it was and not going into explicit details but just being like if anyone wants to talk about this like I'm here but like also making the space so I just think there's a value into just being very honest about our mental health and me being honest with my mental health I mean I'm also in a position where I know people who have jobs specifically the the teachers in my life as an artist I can get away with a lot more than the people who are not artists in my life they wouldn't be able to do that but yeah I just think there's I just talk about my problems on Instagram all the Mm -hmm. time and if you want to listen you can just follow do you have people that reach out and ask you questions or share personal stories with you oh for sure yeah for sure and I mean I've met like I've made so many Instagram friends or like I call them friends they are friends but you know we've never met Mm -hmm. where it's just like you know there's a few people Australians actually that we just uh you know it's it's a way of holding space for each other and a mm-hmm. way of supporting each other. It just helps. Mm-hmm. I had written down a quote. My creativity will heal myself and others. Can you elaborate a little bit on that specific quote and why that matters so much to you? Um, so that comes from Julia Cameron's The Artist's Way, yep. which I mentioned earlier. Um, and it's just, yeah, it, it really speaks to me um, because when you are in the pit of depression or mental health and you are you know making work and trying to be something other than like a sad person there's you can ha- you can get a caught up in this idea that it doesn't matter like it doesn't it isn't worth it you know like who cares um and so that quote especially the like and others it it pushes me to make artwork and like to write to draw, to paint, to take pictures. Because, yeah, you don't know who's going to be impacted mm-hmm. by what you make. And, yeah, so I can post, you know, I can write in a zine about shitty things that have happened to me or I can, like, post a picture or a video on Instagram about, like, how I'm having a bad day. And that can, like, change someone's mm-hmm. day or they can really relate to that or, you know, they can feel something that I wasn't expecting. Um, and so, yeah, so there's the, the healing process that comes through being creative. And uh, I'm lucky because I have friends that have also been hospitalized and experienced it. And they're not as public with their stuff as I am. Mm-hmm. I feel like they have more to lose. We used to, like, one friend in particular, uh, just when I got out of the hospital in 2016, we used to do this thing where it was like, when you were having a bad day and you were just, you know, you lock yourself in your little room with your desk and your markers and you know you're not making anything that's you're gonna post on the gram to like get likes you're just like making something so that you can do it Mm -hmm. so that you're like not sitting there doing nothing it's just like thank god for art like thank god that art is interesting and you know it's it makes you think it brings emotions it makes you feel something that's not like shit Mm -hmm. like you can yeah i think art is the most important thing it's a powerful outlet it's a yeah and and it's also yeah it's a powerful outlet but it's also an enriching experience I love and that and I was you know I had a I was hanging out with a friend the other day and he was just like playing EDM for me uh I'm not a huge music person but he was just like playing these music this like music that I had never heard before and he played this one song that genuinely sounded like nails on a chalkboard and Ooh. I was like how can you listen to this and he's like it's just so cathartic like if I'm like having a day and it's I'm walking in the street and this is in my headphones like I just feel better and uh and and that's fair like 
I'm, and then I had a, and then like a couple days later, I almost texted him being like, what was that chalkboard song? Like, I am not feeling so great. I think I might need it. But I, I, you know, I just put on some like dancey music and danced it out. Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, it, uh, well, like you said, that's different for everybody. Yeah. It was, it's just, yeah, I think the catharsis, the like feeling connected, feeling something of not like the creativity, it's art is everything to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I hope that through making and doing other people can see how important it is or if they don't need to see it that they can find something in their lives that's equally important because you know not everyone needs to be an artist you can just be like a fitness guru it's like if that makes you happy too <laughs> whatever makes you happy you whatever have to you know yeah. like just do yeah follow your curiosity yeah yeah if you were to leave the listeners with one message what would it be oh god i don't i don't know um yeah, I the, I feel put on the spot right now. What do uh, leap in the net will appear? That's my <gasps> that's my motto these days. Is, Good one. I know it's you, you know figure it out as you go along. Yeah, and, I oh, love wait, that. Wait, and also you are on your own path. That is like the thing I write in my diary all the time. Is like someone you might see something on Instagram and be like, oh, or like listen to someone on a podcast and be like, this person has their shit together. But you're on your own path. Like, you only can play the cards you were dealt. Just got to, like, focus on you. It's not a competition. These I'm giving you so many last statements, but that's that's where I'm at. I can't stop talking. I have a problem. <laughs> I think you're great. All right. Thank you so much for joining me today. I'm happy to be here. And you're going to be back. Oh, well. Yes. Sure. Okay. Because yes. <laughs> we'll never stop talking. I know, but we have so many other things we could talk about. It's true. Okay. Well, thank you. And thank, thank you. you so much for listening to another episode of the Safe Haven Podcast. Please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review these episodes. Interested in supporting the podcast in more ways than just listening? If you go to the safehavenpodcast.podbean.com and look at the top right, there's a little green button there that says become a patron. And this is where you can donate as little or as much as you like. There is absolutely no obligation for this. This is just another way that you can make sure that the podcast continues, that the equipment is covered, and that these incredible stories keep coming your way. Telling your friends about the podcast really helps too. And I really appreciate all the time that you spend listening to these stories and messages. Thank you, and I will. Talk to you next week.